0: Hey listener and welcome to another episode of Injury Time, the Asian Cup special, the Asian dream, whatever you call it, we are just into it. In the last episode, we were previewing Group A, which has India, and Group D, which has the best team in Asia, Iran. And in today's episode, we'll be previewing Group E and Group F. I'm your host, Naveen, and joining me is Sandeep from Bangalore. Hey, Sandeep. Hello, how are you? Doing good, Sandeep. And joining us all the way from Brighton, someone who knows a lot about Asian football Sean Carroll. Hey, Sean. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing good, Sean. Pretty chilly in Brighton, if I'm not wrong. Uh,
1: yeah, it is. It's probably actually about the same as it is back in Tokyo now. Um, but the good thing is, in England, we have central heating. So um, indoors, I can sit in my T-shirt, whereas in Tokyo, you have to wrap up warm even when you're indoors.
0: <laughs> all right in warmer conditions back home guys two groups to talk about so let's just get started right with it first group e that has teams like saudi arabia qatar lebanon and north korea sean coming to you first on the face of it qatar saudi arabia look the favorites to go through from this group do you think otherwise
1: um no i think you're i think you're spot on there saudi arabia obviously they got off to a disastrous start at the world cup but they they did well to recover from that. They earned quite a bit of praise for the way they, they bounced back from that. And um, they're always one of those teams that they haven't really... They've never really, in recent years, been especially strong. But they're always one of the teams that get through this first stage. Um, and they're kind of then a bit of a wild card. You know, it depends on the mood in the camp. It depends on how things are going off and off the pitch. And if the, the team is in a, um, in a good state in that respect... But looking at that group, you'd have to say they' they'd be favorites to go through top Qatar obviously have got the you know we're getting to the generation now where these are the ones that are expected to be flying the flag for the country at the when they host the world cup in, in three years it's the the kind of the graduates of the aspire Foundation and all of those things now so they've got a lot of attention on them and they'll likely have a lot of attention from around the world with with that in mind um so you'd think they're going to be looking to go through second. Um, personally, I'm always, you know, it's always intriguing to look at at North Korea as a bit of a wild card because we just don't get any, as with everything to do with the country, we don't really get any information about them. We don't know, you know, opposition teams aren't really able to scout North Korea. Um, I interviewed one of their players actually earlier this year because he's, um, he was born in Japan. He plays in Japan. Uh, Yongjik plays for Tokyo Verde. And, um, I interviewed him and I was asking him a bit about it. And, yeah, he said that does help them. He said, you know, in their training, they tend to work on their own style of play. He said, of course, we, we scout the teams we're playing against. Of course, we we know their strong points. He said, but we really try and focus on what we can do and on our, on our sort of, um you know, set pieces and our tactical play because we know that the opposition won't know what we're going to do. And it gives us a benefit if we know exactly what we're supposed to be doing it gives us a benefit i mean i don't know what it's like now they've changed coach under their former coach the the norwegian jorn anderson they were what the setup was what he told me was that basically the national team trained together all week and then the players go off and play for their various clubs at the weekend which has really given the team this kind of cohesion that you ordinarily don't get with national teams um, whether that is still the case now that they've changed back to a North Korean coach, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I think they could be one. They could be kind of a dark horse to look out for, and they could, you know, they could challenge Qatar for second in the group. Um, they've obviously got the um, Han kwan Song, who's I think he's at Perugia now on loan, um, but he's very highly rated and doing good things in Italy. So. North Korea could be a bit of a dark horse but yeah, as I said, there's, there's so little information, reliable information available that, that very few of us know what to expect from them.
2: Sean, uh, you just touched on Qatar and you spoke about uh, <coughs> uh, that is from Aspire Academy. So, Davin and I were there a couple of years ago and we saw the whole Academy as, as a whole and uh, then the team has Portuguese people, a couple of Algerian, a couple of Sudanese and a few others maybe. So, um, what is the, exp- you know, opinion about Qatar because they seem to be having a lot of expats in their teams.
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, personally, if you look at it all around the world now, this is—I know it's a different—it's a different way that Qatar have done it because they've just sort of naturalized naturalized players, you know, because they're they're good at football, they've been naturalized and got citizenship. But when you do when you do look around the world, I mean. Teams now are becoming more diverse, you know, with the way that the world is developing. Things are far less homogenous now. Um, and, you know, the, when you look at countries that have won the World Cup in recent years, you look at the Germany team, there was a lot of kind of players who came from mixed backgrounds, whose parents or grandparents were from, from various other parts of the world, whether it was Ghana, whether it was Turkey. Um, same was true of France in 1998. So I think you, it's a kind of tricky, it's a tricky subject um, you know, because the world now is becoming more diverse, and this idea of nationality being rooted in just one one thing is is complex. but the yeah the way that Qatar have done it in just sort of going around the world and, and maybe hand young young players that have got talent, bringing them in and naturalizing them is, is certainly something that you can that is what's the word? maybe it's slightly controversial the way they've done it. Um, but for a country that's small um that is going to be host in the world cup i think if they didn't do that they would really have such a small pool of players it would be i think it would be very difficult for them to to compete so i think yeah they've sort of had very little option other than to do that
0: Well, uh, that about Qatar, but Sandeep, coming to you with North Korea. Since the past few years in the Continental Club competitions, we have seen South Korean teams do fairly well. You had that April 24 side going all the way to the knockouts of the AFC Cup. They were in Bangalore a few years back to take on Bengaluru in that interzonal final, if I'm not wrong. Information is very little given, but despite that, the team ends up surprising. It's not only the quality on the pitch, but it is their cohesion and that unity that always stands out, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, we saw April 24th, uh, that's the North Korean side who came here and played. Uh, when Actually, Bangalore FC who played them, they were kind of lucky in the first leg that it rained. And it rained very badly. And South uh, Korean players did not really know how to play in a pitch like that because it was really, really muddy and watery and all that. So... They kind of escaped. But the second leg, if you look at it, uh, they just battered Bangalore FC. They seriously battered Bangalore FC. And this is information coming from the people within the club, from the players that they played. They were just lucky that they did not lose that match and somehow managed to get through. I think uh, they are currently reached the final again this season, if I'm not mistaken, the North Korean side. So, uh, and from everything that I've heard, from the captain speaking, from players, they're just... Physically, they are very strong and uh, tactically also, they seem to be always on the same page which makes sense now because the team had a lot of national play, national team players in it and uh, as Sean just uh, informed, and I didn't know about this before, that if they all train together, then it makes sense that uh, they will actually perform well
0: Well, Sean, coming to you with the same question, uh, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, definitely the favourites to go through from the group. But do you see North Korea nicking that third place slot which is reserved for six best Third place team this time around, with the competition being expanded into a 24 team, FA. Um,
1: yeah, I would think North Korea are, are the favourites to definitely get third. They might even push Qatar for second. I think that that North Korea Qatar game will, will be decisive in that in that respect. Um, but looking at the group, yeah, I mean even if they were to draw with Qatar, you'd think they would probably beat Lebanon. North Korea could maybe sneak a, a draw with Saudi Arabia. They actually played them in the last Asian Cup. Um, and we're doing reasonably well, but um, really the the player I actually interviewed was sent off in that game. Once uh once the flow kind of went against them, so yeah, I would think they could they could maybe make a surprise push for second, but you'd you'd think that they could. They've certainly got a very good chance of of being one of the one of the best third place teams.
2: Sean, uh, one question that we wanted to check is uh, especially Qatar and Saudi. They played a number of matches this year, uh, this calendar year, and They've played also very strong teams. Like um, Saudi has played against Brazil and Bolivia and Uruguay Russia. Qatar has played Iceland and Switzerland and a few other European nations. Uh, Their results have been mixed. Like some few wins, few losses and draws. So what would you say is an ideal preparation as far as a team is concerned? Uh, Is it to play really strong sides and don't really care about the results or just hopefully keep up with results playing teams that you can potentially beat?
1: Um, well, personally, I always think it's better to play as the strong, the strongest teams you can. Um, it's far better to to be to get yourselves used to playing against a higher quality of opposition. It's far better. Obviously, you never want to lose games, but it's far better in friendly games to to lose against a, a strong side than to go out and just beat a weak side four or five nil. Uh, recently, Japan played against um, Kyrgyz Republic. And I think it was 4-0 or something like that. And it was just a completely one-sided affair. There was, there was no merit to playing the game. None of the players, you know, it was far lower than a, even a, a regular J League opposition. So the players aren't gaining anything from it. You then become, I would say subconsciously, you then become maybe slightly complacent. You don't, you're not used to having to raise yourself up to a certain level, prepare yourself mentally and physically. And then once you get to a competition like this and, you know, all right, there there are some fairly weak teams in the in the pots as well, but you've still got to play against at least one, maybe two good teams in your group. And then if and when you get through the group stage, you're looking at, you know, some of the teams, you know, the teams like Japan, like Iran, Australia, South Korea, that, that went to the World Cup and, as you said, have been playing against the biggest teams in the world. You're, you're just not going to be at their level. So personally, I would always say you need to be playing against the, the strongest opposition you can get.
0: Well, guys, we've spoken a lot about Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and North Korea. But, Sandeep, coming to you now, what about Lebanon? The fourth team in this group. E, They're back in the fold after a very long time. Last time we saw them in action was in 2000. What can we expect from them? Well, Lebanon
2: is actually uh, quite easily the most weakest team of the lot, I think. Uh, and they haven't really had a great preparation either. Uh, they won two games and then have since uh, not won in five, I think, five or six maybe. And uh, they've played decent teams, uh, bar in Australia, Uzbekistan, Kuwait, you know, the level that they are assumed to face in the Asian Cup. And obviously, they haven't done very well. They lost three and uh, then they drew two of them. So, uh, not very sure about them. I don't think uh, they are going to push any of the three teams for a slot.
0: Well, Lebanon not pushing any of the three teams for a slot in the knockouts. Well, guys, that's a wrap of Group E. But, listener, on the other side of this short break, we'll be discussing a lot about Group F. A group that has the blue summarize in it. So, don't go anywhere because we'll be very back. Hey, listener, and welcome back to Injury Time's Asian Cup special. Before the break, we've been discussing a lot about Group E. Now it's time for Group F. A group that has the likes of Japan, like I mentioned earlier, Uzbekistan, Oman, a team that is missing, Ali Al-Habzi, guys who might relate to him, and Turkmenistan. Well, Sean, coming to you, you've been in Tokyo, you've seen Japanese football for a very long time now. What do you make of the Blue Samurais?
1: Uh, Well, this is a... It's an interesting time for the team because they've got uh, a new coach in the first time they've had a, a Japanese coach for quite a while um, a lot of the the players that um, that people from around the world will associate with with Japan are gone i mean if you start at the back ifFI from the World Cup Aji uh, Kawashima has finally finally gone from from the goal um, Obviously, Makoto Hasebe, who's been who's captain the team at the last three World Cups, has has gone as well. Keisuke Honda has moved on. Um, Shinji Kagawa is not in the squad either this time because he's not getting playing time in in Borussia Dortmund. So the this is really kind of a new. It Looks like it's a new generation that the coach uh, Hajime Moriyasu, who did very well with Sanfrecce Hiroshima, um, he has experience from before that coaching within the JFA setup. Um, working with some of the youth teams. And he's really brought through a lot of, um, not necessarily young, if you look at it from a from an outside perspective, but in terms of in the J-League, because a lot of players don't actually start playing in the J-League until they're sort of 20, 21, because they might go to universities, they might spend a couple of years playing in the sort of the, the reserve teams of the J-League, um, or sort of the youth teams, should I say. These these are players that aren't especially experienced at this level, um, he brought most of them in when he had his first few friendlies. And it looked initially like he was just giving players chances. But he's pretty much stuck with them um, throughout so far. And they've all been called in. And like I said, some people may be expecting that, that Kagawa would come back in. Maybe Shinji Okazaki or some of these players might gain a reprieve. But he's he stayed true to the the players who he's used so far. Um and who are un, undefeated and i think it's he's had five maybe six friendly games um, so it's kind of a new it's kind of a new era for the team so i think maybe yeah for people outside of japan they'll be uh, a little bit surprised and maybe yeah maybe they won't recognize some of these players that are um that will be starting on uh, i think their first games on the 8th
2: yeah so so shun uh, at the the squad that was announced you have eight players in the squad who are playing in europe and then on top of that We saw the performance in the World Cup was very well-organized performance and uh, maybe slightly unlucky against uh, Belgium as well. So uh, from the outside, the perception of Japan is this really, really well-organized team who play as a team. Like the game they play against Nigeria in the World Cup was one of the most entertaining ones that I saw. So uh, what is the expectation or perception from within the country, from Tokyo or the other places, that how the direction of the team, what is the expectation on that?
1: Um, well, as I said just now, like because it's a new, it's a new squad now. People are, people are actually quite excited. Um, I think in fact there's actually twelve players who are in Europe now, in this squad. There was a couple of couple of players pulled out, and new players have come in. So I think it's actually about twelve. Uh, a few players transferred to to Belgium after the World Cup, and um, so there's a lot more players now who are, who are used to, not just playing uh at a higher level, but you know, they're training every day, they're they're learning more about the professionalism off the pitch and the way to, you know, I think in terms of diet, in terms of, you know, training and things like that. Um and this generation now are kind of whereas the likes of maybe Honda and, and Kagawa um they moved abroad and sort of made themselves into stars. We've now got these young players everyone in Japan at the moment is um is excited about the kind of there's a front three Yuya Osaka will probably still be up front and then there's a front three just behind him uh Takumi Minamino uh Ritsu Doan and Shoya Nakajima these three are really these three all kind of went abroad they did reasonably well in the J League but they didn't stick around for too long and they moved Nakajima went over to um, Portugal where he's still playing for Portimonense Ritsu Doan did very well at the Under-20 World Cup a couple of years ago. Um, and he made the move over to Europe uh, not so long ago. He's playing uh, for Groningen in, I think, in the Holland. And um, although the official AFC release says that Groningen is in Denmark. So either they've got the it wrong world. or I have. <laughs> and... Um, Then Minamino as well made the move over to Austria when he was, I think he was still only about 18 or 19 to Salzburg. And he's really established himself there. And these three are really, not only are they showing great, great potential, but they're, they're kind of showing things that, um, and you touched upon it there, that people usually maybe don't associate with, with Japan. And you said that people see them as a well-organized team and they work together well. And, and these three Although of course having all those aspects too, they they're all kind of able to make something happen from nothing, which is something that Japan don't really produce that often. Um, you know, they had Honda, who was a you know was a was a rare case. Um, before that, you can maybe look at the likes of um, Hidetoshi Nakata, um, obviously Shinji Ono, um, Shinsuke Nakamura. Maybe although he was kind of more from a from a set piece kind of thing. Um, these are players now where they will. Um, Nakajima in particular, but you know Doan as well, Minamino as well. They will try and and take players on. They won't just put their foot on the ball and try and and find a teammate and build past his moves. They are willing to to take risks to try and make things happen. And uh, Nakajima, in his comments after games, has said that he he doesn't feel any sense of pressure. He's been given the number ten jersey, which in Japan is a big deal. It's kind of like it's kind of like being given number seven at Manchester United or something. It's a it's a huge deal and it comes with a lot of pressure and a lot of expectation. But thus far, um, and it, oh, right, it's only been in friendly games, um, he's he hasn't looked at all overawed by that. And he said that he enjoys it. He said he doesn't care where he's playing or who he's playing against. He wants to enjoy playing football. And and adding that aspect to the team, I, I think personally is something they've really lacked in recent years. Yeah, they've they've got that team spirit yes they they do it's a it's a cliche but they'll work as a unit and all these things they'll be very well organized and disciplined but to to really push on at the highest level and at these competitions you do need to have something different you do need to have a player or some players that can make something happen and turn a game in your favor when it looks like it might not be might not be going your way so in japan at the moment it's it's those three that are really getting people excited um the fans are obviously a little bit um, sort of wary of getting too carried away. They know this is a changeover from the from the previous generation of players. Um, so people are, are cautious about, you know, expecting the team to win the competition. Um, although, obviously, the coach has said that is, that's the aim. That's why they're going there. But I think people are, generally, they're just a bit excited. I think things have got a little bit stale. Although Japan did well at the World Cup, before the competition, there was very little enthusiasm because... The performances hadn't been hadn't been good. Halil Hodzic had been fired two months before the tournament, and it looked like things off the pitch were very very messy um and It was the same old players again being called up the squad in in the two thousand and eighteen World Cup wasn't especially different to that from two thousand and fourteen um so Although they did well in the end and, and over sort of um exceeded people's expectations. I think fans were starting to feel like it was time to to freshen the team up and um and yeah credit to Moriyasu because he's he's come in and he's he's done that and he has left out you know players like Kagawa who maybe under previous coaches would have got in on name value alone he has he's said no they're not they're not playing so he's he's giving these young less experienced players a chance which is is exciting for people in Japan
0: well people in Japan are excited and the coach is looking for Win and nothing less. Well, that about Japan, guys. But moving on to the other three teams in the group, there's Oman, Uzbekistan, and Turkmenistan. Japan definitely getting out of this group into the knockouts. Who should be the other one? Who will be the other one, Sean?
1: Um, you'd have to say Uzbekistan. They're a, they're one of those teams that that often underperform on the big stage. I've I've been a fan of them for for quite a while. I whenever I watch them whenever they've played against Japan in, in qualifiers for various co-tournaments. I've always been impressed by Uzbekistan. Um, they've obviously produced some excellent players over the years. Um, I remember watching them at the, in, in Australia at the last Asian Cup and being really impressed with the, the striker Igor Södergev, but I saw that he's not even made the squad this time. So I don't know if that's because he's he's dropped off. I don't know if that's because other players have come through who are, who are even better than him. Um, they've obviously now got a very experienced coach, Who's in charge as well? In Hector Coupe. So you'd you'd have to think that they'll be going through in second. Um, Oman, maybe you know they they're one of those teams that I have to admit I don't know a great deal about. So I guess they could they could push them, um, but you'd have to say that on the face of it, it looks like Uzbekistan to go through in second. I mean they could even push Japan for first. Uh, again, it's the it's the head to head game. If Japan don't manage to beat Uzbekistan and it's a draw, then it could come down to you know to goal difference, or if one of them slips up elsewhere. Um, so yeah, you'd have to say that it will be Japan and Uzbekistan as as the top two, um, and then personally, you'd have to think that Oman will will finish in third. I don't think Turkmenistan will have will have much of a stay in this group, much like we said with with Lebanon before. Um, there, you know, there are there are teams in in Asia. We've expanded the competition now, so there are there are going to be teams who as much as the coaches coming in will say they want to win games and they want to get through the group. And it's, you know, it's a learning curve. The development of football in different countries is at different stages. And these kind of opportunities are great for, for the players, for the federations, for the coaches to, to get a feel of what, what these big competitions mean, what, what the level is required of them. And it helps in the development. Um, you look at the, even the big, the big nations now, you know, not, sort of 50 60 years ago japan were the teams that were that were getting served with with big defeats and it's it's all part of the development um and then if you if you draw out a little bit more the, the asian teams at the world cup are usually seen as the the weaker ones and they're there to gain experience but um as they showed in russia this time they're starting to find their feet a bit more and they're starting to to match the teams from south america from europe and um so I think, although you know, you'd have to look at Turkmenistan as as finishing bottom of the group, it's still a a chance for them to play, at a, you know, a big competition against some of the biggest teams in the continent and to gain that experience.
0: Well, that about Uzbekistan, but Sandeep what about Oman? The team is missing their star player, if I can call him Ali Alhabzi, out to an injury. But despite that loss, they are really a formidable unit, isn't it?
2: Yeah, of course. Um, I think they are unbeaten in uh, 12 or 13 matches. So, that obviously, they had a very good preparation. Up until yesterday, when they were uh, drawn against India, which is still a good result. So, um, I am not really sure how they played in that match, because they just played behind closed doors against India. But uh, when we last saw them play against India, like a couple of years ago, uh, I thought they they did play better than India, for sure. But... uh, Probably they India could they would have nicked it at the end, if not for that offside goal, which is uh, still debated. But I think he was offside. But you uh, that showed you maybe like uh, Sean just explained, maybe they are the third best team in that group. But considering the 24 team uh, format now, they might just make it to the next stage. And once it gets to knockouts and it's on a day by day basis,
0: I think. But what about the fact that they come in into this competition as the Gulf Cup champions? A competition that sees the best in West Asia.
2: Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, winning the Gulf Cup obviously is a good thing for them, and it will help their uh, what do you call it, the confidence and all the stuff like that. But uh, the when you reach the level of an a Asian Cup or a Euros or a World Cup, it's a whole other pressure that comes on. So um, they have to really look at look at uh, the experienced people. And I just mentioned Ariel Habsi, they have lost him. He was one of those calm heads, you know, who was very experienced and stuff like that. So, maybe they will miss out a little bit on that on him. But otherwise, I'm not very sure. Uh, The Gulf Cup is obviously a big deal. But I I personally don't know. I don't think they'll they'll be better than the Pakistan and Japanese side and get into the top two.
0: Well, Oman would find it difficult to get into the top two of that group, guys. I think that's all we have on this episode of Injury Time Special on the Asian Cup Sean thanks a lot for joining us all the way from Brighton. no problem at all thank you very much for having me on and Sandeep like always it was great having you on the show thank you man and listener it was great that you stayed with us all throughout the show like I mentioned earlier this is just part 2 of our 3 part preview episodes in the next one we'll be previewing the remaining 2 groups which also includes the defending champions Australia so until we get you that episode have a great week and enjoy the game